KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. In the 2022 academic year, international students who attended colleges and universities in the United States contributed $33.8 billion to the U.S. economy and supported more than 335,000 jobs. That's a lot, but it's actually less than in 2019 when more than 1 million students generated $40.5 billion, this according to the American International Recruitment Council. International enrollment has slightly declined in recent years because of the the cost of education, the pandemic, anti-immigration rhetoric, and far and above all of the others is gun violence. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, and I go to more than a few places around the world, I hear that. Am I going to get shot if I go to the United States? Martin J. Miller is the Assistant Vice President for Global Engagement at Temple University. He says that while the United States is still a top destination for many international students, for others, it's a second choice. U.S. schools are safety schools. If you look, for example, in India, less than 1% of millions of students are admitted to IITs. And only after they don't get admitted to IITs will they be seeking academic institutions in the United States. Same thing for China. We are extremely good. We are still the gold standard, but we're not the only thing. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, we talk about what international students look for in universities, the impact they have on the United States, and how other English-speaking countries are trying to boost international enrollment. I know for years I had read and kind of understood that the U.S. was kind of the gold standard when it came to where international students look to study. Is that still the case? Absolutely. The United States remains the gold standard for education throughout the world. The millions of students traveling around the world seeking higher education still look primarily first to the United States. Maybe our gold is becoming less or more tarnished than it was before, but it is still gold. Yes. Why is that? It would seem to me, obviously, the pandemic, I would guess there was a lot of anti-immigration rhetoric from the government during the Trump administration, and now you still hear it from some corners. What else has maybe tarnished the idea of the U.S. and maybe even guns? The constant stories about gun violence that are just a lot of people in other countries can't get their heads around. What has maybe led to it being tarnished a little bit? Let's start first. The idea that uh, COVID might have had an impact on the reputation of our education system, it really didn't. There's a slight blip, if you will, down during those years, but that was not because of reputation. That was just because of COVID itself. The vast majority of international students who were in the U.S. remained in the U.S. during COVID. The application numbers uh, throughout the country basically remained the same. The only reason numbers went down is the visas and things like that during the COVID period. So it was not COVID itself. The International student, I think, remains cognizant of the value of a U.S. education. However, the cost of the U.S. education is getting a little steeper, of course, as you know, each year. And so that, much more than COVID, is probably uh, one reason that the numbers have declined. The education in other English-speaking nations has also begun to achieve the same kind of rankings that the U.S. education, Oxford and Cambridge and England, they uh, you know, have, have been at this you know, gold standard also. So it's not just the U.S. But more and more other institutions around the world are gaining higher rankings. International students see those rankings. International students go by rankings. So to a great extent, that's where they're going. Again, we remain, you know, maybe seven of the top 10 are U.S. institutions, but the other institutions of the world are coming up. The other two points that you mentioned are spot on. The rhetoric, 
the politics, none of that was very helpful for us insofar as uh, attracting international students to come to the United States. And it wasn't just the rhetoric itself, it was the violence of the rhetoric, if you know what I mean. So yes, international students stayed away uh, because of that. There have been numerous surveys conducted uh, by numerous agencies, and all of them have pointed to that as a specific point. However, more recent surveys are pointing to a, a, a more optimistic number of international students, again, because of politics. They, they, they have stated specifically that they have seen that that extremely negative rhetoric is not around very much. You did mention, of course, it, it is there in some pockets, but just not everywhere. Uh, it was everywhere, and now it's only in some pockets. But far and above all of the others is gun violence. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, and I go to more than a few places around the world, I hear that. Am I going to get shot if I go to the United States? I mean, literally, I was in uh, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, four or five weeks ago, and a student came to my table and he said, "Why?" And it was at a high school fair, and most of the schools there were U.S. schools, but there were a couple of English schools, a Swiss school, and the, one kid came up to me point blank and he said, I would never go to the United States because I do not want to get shot. He didn't say Philadelphia. He said the United States. So it's not any specific city. It is the whole country. And it is more perception, of course, than reality. However, the perception is exceptionally strong. The gun thing specifically, is that something in the last couple of years? Or is that something that has always been kind of brought up, but now maybe it's moved up a few notches? Or is this something that you've only heard exchanges like that in the last couple of years? I've been doing this for quite a while, and the gun thing is not a new thing. It has exacerbated, of course, the conversation in the past uh, five years. Again, the verbal violence, if you will, combined with the actual violence. And you know, quite frankly, Matt, you can't you know turn on the TV anymore in the United States without yet another mass shooting. And every one of those is extremely exaggerated in foreign press, especially if you have a foreign victim. What was the case in Chicago? Few months ago, the young uh, 21-year-old Chinese student was paralyzed. Now he's, uh, you know, being held up as a symbol of, if you will, the, the, the sort of thing that's happening in the United States. Wasn't there recently another uh, a young Indian student or Indian uh, individual died in a, in a recent incident? Also, that's going to be reflected in all the papers in India. So, yeah, I mean, every time there's a foreign citizen involved in the violence, none of that helps us, and it's happening over and over and over. Talk a little bit about why having international students is so important, not just from an economic standpoint, not just from an enrollment standpoint, but from a, a, a societal standpoint. It brings so much to the table. Just kind of talk about the importance of having a constant pipeline of international students, regardless of where they come, why it's so important to kind of the landscape. I cannot imagine the United States without its international dimensions. We are the uh, the result of international immigration, uh, you know, for, to a great extent, except you know the indigenous populations who were here long before we came and practically took it. Without a continuation of this inflow of people from around the world, we become a stagnant country, if you will. We, we become more ignorant than we already are. And excuse me for that, but I, I, you know, I, I think most educated people would agree that, that we are in general ignorant of the outside world, except for those people who have interacted with international visitors, either students or immigrants. I'm not saying that negatively. I don't mean ignorant in a negative sense, of course. I, I mean the literal sense. We do not know. We do not have the information about the, about the outside world unless we interact with people from so many countries around the world. 
So I don't also want to uh, ignore the economic impact. The fact that international students bring to the United States $42 billion a year, it is the sixth yeah, uh, either between the sixth and eighth largest, depending on the year you're looking at, export of the United States. And that kind of economic impact is huge, uh, of course. So we, we have to keep that in mind because it is a reality, especially in a time when our economy is is not doing so well. In addition to all of the money that they bring in, they support, I think it's at the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs. I could give you those data if you'd like. Uh, you know, the, those are very readily available. Or I think it's around 700,000 jobs in the United States are specifically supported by international students in the United States, in addition to the $42 billion that they brought in. More important than the economy, the economic impact is the, is the, in my mind, educational impact, the social impact. We, we would be a closed nation without them. And it's not just the students, because the students bring their families, the students bring other tourists. The knock-on effect, if you will, of an international student is also huge to the nation. In Pennsylvania, we are working now with not only education institutions, but also the Department of Tur Commerce, the Department of Tourism, because we've all begun to realize the inter interconnectedness of the international student to the whole nation beyond just economically. So, We need to take a break. We will have more with Temple University's Martin J. Miller right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Temple University's Martin J. Miller. You talked off the top about we are still kind of the gold standard, but the gold's gotten tarnished. Can you give us some context? Like, are we seeing fewer applications? Is it about the same? Like, did it drop off for a couple of years and then it's kind of rebounded? Like, where has it been? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The numbers have uh, were, were at a peak in about 2017 around the United States and and also around Temple. Since then, it has went down, of course, during COVID, but not for any reason beyond COVID. They just knew that they couldn't get here if they, you know, even if they were admitted. And now the numbers have started to increase again. And I think that the increasing numbers, we're not seeing the same numbers that we had before. We were at about a million two, a million two hundred thousand before COVID hit. We, were, we went back to about a million last year. So we dropped down to slightly under uh, 1 million, I think, in 2022. And then we're back up again, slightly over a million. To get to where we were, it'll take a few more years. Can we get there? I don't know. And why? Because other English-speaking nations have been aggressively, aggressively recruiting international students. In addition to the academic institutions that are making the recruitment efforts, you also have national governments doing so. So all of the national governments of the English-speaking nations have put billions of pounds or dollars or whatever that you know, their currency is into ensuring that the international student knows once she takes her education in that country, she'll have an opportunity to work there. Maybe not permanent, but there is an opportunity. In our case, as you know, during the four years of the previous administration, we were actively telling people, if you come, you cannot get a job, we're going to kick you out. That didn't help a national recruiting effort at all. Other countries have been doing so. There have been a, a, a few uh, glitches. England has got some, you know, some problems going on right now with, with their government not as actively welcoming the international students as, as some people would like. However, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand remain extremely active in it. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the academic institutions in other countries are, are, are getting better. Not only English-speaking nations, of course, but other nations. So there's so much more competition going around. However, the applications, to get to your question, 
the applications have rebounded slightly since the COVID years. I don't think we're going to get back to the peak we were before because there's so much more valid competition, but the numbers are, are, are not depressing right now. That competition, I'm curious, was that going to happen regardless or did some of these countries see an opportunity with all the things we talked about kind of in the negative column with the U.S. that, hey, there might be a little bit of a vacuum. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could slide in here and really make an aggressive push to get that 8%, 12 whatever it is, and have them come to our country and help our society and help our economy? Or was it always going to just trend in that direction, you think? This has been a conversation that's been going on for at least 15 years because they have been doing so. British Council in England has been doing so for 75 years. The U.S. is only is the newest country to begin a conversation about whether or not we want to begin a national strategy. Our association, NAFSA Association of International Educators, has been advocating that the, that the federal government do something nationally for as long as I've been with the association, and that's uh, 30 years now. And only recently have they has the government decided that they will uh, come up with the strategy. U.S. Department of Commerce uh, has created what's called USA, a study destination, which is de- dedicated specifically to working with businesses around the world to find ways to encourage more international students to come to the United States. The Department of State has a program called Education USA that has uh, recently begun a, a campaign called Study With Us. They work specifically with the high schools and uh, students themselves to encourage them to consider coming to the United States. Education USA has been around for a while. You know, Department of Commerce has been around forever, but they haven't had concerted campaigns like this. The fact that both of them have their own campaign, of course, remains a little bit frustrating. You would like them to work together, as, again, all the other countries are doing. But at least we do have some some movement going forward now. But it's not new, unfortunately, in the other countries. We are just the newest to this game. From a proportion standpoint, are we seeing? Do we see students coming from the same parts of the world for the most part, or do we see other countries, other continents? Are we seeing more and other countries dropping off? Like, or is it pretty steady as far as the way it breaks down? You know, from now, from over the last 10, 15 years. Demographics are changing only in one country, and that's China. The, the, the large, large, large numbers of Chinese applications have you know, not dwindled to zero, but they, they've, they've fallen greatly across the United States. India has become the largest uh, source of applications now. If you think about it, India just became the largest nation in the world, didn't it, uh, last week? So it's not surprising that this, that this demographic change is, is happening. There are other political reasons that Chinese numbers have fallen. Generally, the other countries have all remained constant throughout the time, uh, proportionally. So you've got China, India, number one, uh, in most places, Korea, number three, sorry, China, India, number one or two, Korea, number three. Looking at temples specifically, you've got Japan, uh, Nigeria, Taiwan, and these are countries that have, that have remained large. Uh, Canada, of course, for students over for, for states in the Southwest, Mexico, of course, remains a large sender. But yeah, generally, the, the trends have remained the same. China and India have always been at number one, two. Korea has, you know, has always been up at their, up close to the top also. So, What is it about U.S. institutes of higher learning that draws so many people? Is it the quality of the education? Is it everything that we surround the college experience with, with regards to whether it's sports or, you know, Greek life or, and things like that. What is it that for years has drawn so many people to the U.S.? 
exactly what you just described, the quality. Everybody, with the exception of a few universities around the world, again, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, Peking University, you know, there, there are several of them that are well known as being at the top. Most often the U.S. institutions are regarded the highest. The U.S. schools have resources that are available to students and they're able to make those resources available to students. They've got the latest equipment. They've got the in the scientists who have the access to, to to research dollars, if you will. The U.S. institutions are also able quite easily to collaborate with other institutions around the world, which gives students here a great international base to work from. I, I think the most highly cited uh, researchers in the world are probably based in U.S. institutions. Again, with the exception of you know a few of the highest ranked uh, international universities. The students know when they come to the United States that they have a student uh, student support structure. Again, you referred to that. That's amazing. Uh, and that is also true at most institutions. Student support is often cited. The employment opportunities after graduation, as difficult as they can be, are there. And students cite that that's what they're coming for. They do know that they can get jobs here. They don't always lead to green cards. Not everybody's looking for a green card. But, you know, the opportunity to get a job and go go back then with experience. Quite frankly, the faculty in the United States, the, the ability to have conversation with your faculty rather than to sit and just be told what is so. The education system, the, the liberal arts background of most of our education institutions is very different from the schools where if you're an engineer, that's all you study, or if you're a doctor, that's all you're going to study. And they appreciate that. On the other hand, we need to understand that coming to the United States is sometimes a second choice for some students. We're not always the first choice. We're the, uh, we would call it here in the States that not the fallback, but there's, you know, when you apply to six IVs, uh, the safety school. The safety school, yeah. yeah. U.S. schools are safety schools. Uh, if you look, for example, in India, the IITs are among the highest, you know, less than 1% of millions of students are admitted to IITs. And only after they don't get admitted to IITs will they be seeking uh, academic institutions in the United States. Same thing for China. The top 1% of the students take it to, uh, who pass an exam called the Gaokao are admitted to academic, the best academic institutions in China. Those who don't get that, they're the ones who are seeking uh, places outside of, the, outside of China. So we are extremely good. We are still the gold standard, but we're not the only thing. I feel like the last couple of years, really since the beginning of the pandemic, there's been a lot of soul searching and a lot of talk about work-life balance, but also is college for everyone? Because for a long time, it was just kind of put forth, well, if you're, you know, the next step is college, regardless of what you want to do, you just have to go to college to be successful. And then we get into the discussions of student debt and, you know, things like that and people spending $150,000 for a degree for a job that pays $27,000 a year, stuff like that. How important are the international students to the schools purely from kind of an enrollment financial standpoint, just because a lot of people in the U.S. maybe are rethinking the idea of going to college? Has that put, I guess my question is, is that does that put more pressure on maintaining international numbers just for enrollment, stuff like that? No question whatsoever. Not only are we talking about the, the the rethinking of the value of a college education and how that affects our enrollments, but the demographics of the United States has necessarily caused a decline in our applications. Baby boomers' children are no longer here coming to college. The number of high school graduates falls every year, particularly in our case in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. 
So the number of applications coming from Pennsylvania graduates for, continues to fall. The seats are still here. We still need to fill the seats. So where can we go? We go out of state and we go to international. This concept of questioning the value of a college education is being, is being asked outside of the United States, but, but it's being asked in a different way. It's not, should I go to college? It's which college is going to give me the best job? So they are still asking the question about, you know, what is the value, but again, in a different way. So when I go again to high schools, the question I get from high school students, not, not only from the college chances, but from high school students, what is your placement rate? And we are, you know, we have to have that. We have to know it right off the top of our heads. And they're asking every college exactly the same question. And then the other question they ask is, what is the starting salary of your computer science graduate? Here I am a medieval English literature graduate. What do I know about a computer science graduate? salary, but I have to know that. So all of us on the road, take that information with us because we're questioned about that. So it's, it is an economic question. It is a value of the education, but, but asked differently from how, from us. And then also it, it, it might seem generalizing or stereotyping or whatever it is, but if you think of the STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, in some cases, up to 75% of those seats are filled by international students. And it's not because they want to be 75%. It's because there are not enough U.S. Uh, students seeking those seats. So international students are literally, in some cases, keeping departments open, especially in the STEM fields. This is common throughout the United States. Engineering, uh, statistics particularly, for example. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.